You know I never could see where life was leading me. Hey guys. <laughs> yeah, I am singing the song we're going to talk about today. But a little update about me, if you've been following along with my little head surgery, skin cancer scare deal thing, which by the way is totally fine. It's all good. I got my sutures out this week and everything looks good. Not at first. It was kind of scary and red and and I wasn't sure what was going to happen, but it's all good. I did try to run the other day. I think I'm going to wait a little longer. I don't think people understand when I tell them. My heart rate gets up to like 170 when I'm when I'm on an uphill or doing something strenuous in warmer weather. So, yeah. I do not want to push it while my head is healing. I just don't want to mess with that stuff. Anyway, let's get back to today and the goodness that we're talking about. I am so excited about this number, you guys, this queen deep dive, all sunny and bright, sneaky, deaky. Yes. <laughs> I, I thought about that last night because this song is one of those numbers. John is just good like this. He is a secret weapon. He is the man who comes out swinging when he writes a song in Queen. And these songs are always catchy. They're always soulful, poppy. They're fun. I mean, one of their best-selling songs is his, is Mr. John Deacon's. So I think to say sneaky deaky is appropriate. I also think it's just fun to say. It's a little bit, <laughs> it's a little bit risque, I guess, but that makes it all the more fun. I know I'm twisted like that. But this is dive number 51, track number five on Queen's album, their fifth, A Day at the Races, released in 1976. This is pop rock, John, John and his genius pop rock stuff. And this number is called You and I. I'll be honest with you guys, when I first heard this, it didn't immediately strike me as something really fabulous. It, it kind of, yes, it's great. It's done very, very well. And in fact, the more I've listened to this and reflected on it, especially as part of this deep dive, I've realized something very interesting about this song. But yeah, at first, I just thought this is a great Queen song, but it, it didn't jump out at me. It wasn't like Death on Two Legs. It wasn't like Liar. You know, it wasn't like In the Lap of the Gods. It, there's so many songs out there from Queen that are very compelling and interesting and elaborate and fun and energetic and rock and roll at its finest. This one just was a great number and nothing more. But I think I've come to find that this song has some qualities that make it absolutely just so fantastic. And I very much agree with Mr. Freddie Mercury's opinion about this song that we'll talk about in just a minute here. So this song was a B-side to the single Tie Your Mother Down, <laughs> which is the first song on A Day of the Races. You know what, guys, though? This should have been a single. It should have been its own single. Why? Well, I'm going to tell you guys why. Just a minute here. 
We're in 134 beats per minute, a very nice energetic tempo to be bouncing along in this wonderful poppy number. Simple time signature, common time, 4-4, and two keys, D major, B minor. There's something about D major that's incredibly, it just sounds nice. I've talked about music and how different keys, different chords are very pleasant to the human ear, the notes, the frequencies we hear. And D major just has that kind of resonance. I don't know what it is. It's one of those keys that's just lovely to hear a song in. So this is in the perfect key, really. And this is all living in love in the moment. We are embracing love in the moment. Bubbly, bubbly. Wow, I'm just going to keep that. That's a gem. Bubbly, bright, polished, poppy. You and I is one of John's most addicting, effervescent compositions. I don't often get to use the term effervescent when I'm talking about Queen because they don't have really a lot of songs like this. There's a lot of joy in them. There's a lot of optimism in Queen's work, but the vibe of their songs is generally more, yes, of course, it's rock and roll. So to say something is effervescent, that's always nice to use that word. I do indeed love that word. At first listen, this is a simple rockin' ode to good times are now and casual days and nights with a loved one. But the dancing piano from Freddie and the energetic drums from Roger along with Queen's trademark richly layered harmonies, remind us that the boys always take simple to a glossier level. John's contributions to the band are never, never forgettable filler, and he takes the opportunity here to take the lead on bass. Where Brian provides so many lyrical guitar lines, and he does so here, of course, John manages to bust out many moments that stick himself and are just as memorable. Syncopation, especially at the song start, is the magic at work. During the intro, finding the downbeat is a fun game. Everybody play the game, right? It reels you into this melodic and bubbly thing. Everything comes together perfectly here, and with effortless transitions, sweeping and singable solos and warm harmonies, this is fabulous. Every member of the band shines brightly as though the enthusiasm and joy was a tangible thing as they worked together. There are songs that sound as though the boys dreamed them into reality. This one from John has that polished tone that's undeniably him, and ultimately, undeniably Queen. I've talked about this album's amazing production and the incredible job the guys did producing it themselves. This song, it's one of the best mixed, best sounding numbers on races. That's what I was getting at at the start. Somewhere along the lines, as I listened to this song numerous times, as I've already done, but the more I've listened to it, I've come to realize as I picked it apart with a fine-toothed comb, this song sounds so great. On a headset, this is an amazing number. Just to hear the balance of the different instruments and the voices and the way Freddie is on the left for a portion of it in this phrase and the rest of the harmonies are on the right. 
It makes for such an interesting dynamic listen. And the entire album is produced with this kind of precision and this kind of clarity. But this song, for whatever reason, and maybe it is because it's so poppy, it's so soulful, it really comes across in the finest balance I've heard in almost any of these songs at all. It just, it, this song sounds so good from a quality, from a mixing production standpoint. I love this song, but it was never played live. I haven't said that in a long time, have I? I can't remember the last song that was never played live as I've gone through these Queen Deep Dives, but this is super sadness because this could have been an even more fun, bigger stage performance than John's previous You're My Best Friend. Let's talk about that a little bit more. Freddie considered this to be superior compared to John's previous composition, that You're My Best Friend. Freddie thought this was better. Its piano arrangement is certainly more melodic, complex, and perhaps this is partially why Freddie felt You and I is the better track. It makes you wonder why they didn't release this as a single on its own. Maybe this would have been another memorable John number, not something that often seems forgotten. Because yeah, this song isn't hated. In fact, I haven't read a bad word about it, but I don't read a lot about it in in any respect. I feel like this song is a little bit lost in their catalog, and that makes me sad because again, there's something about this that is, yes, superior to You're My Best Friend. And it's not just the mixing. There's something about the the songwriting, the arrangement. This flows effortlessly, this number. It's absolutely effortless as it plays through the song. It's a wonderful listen. In an interview in November of 76 with Kenny Everett, Freddie said about John, quote, his songs are good and are getting better every time. I'm getting a bit worried, actually. (laughs) Don't worry, Freddie. He's not going to upstage you. Well, that's a lie. (laughs) John John actually did write some absolutely incredible songs that did better than a lot of any of the other guy's songs. So there you go. I suppose if Freddie had any reason to worry, it was that. But of course, that's playful banter, you know, Freddie talking to Kenny. That's a fantastic interview, by the way. You can find it on YouTube. Just look up Freddie Mercury, Kenny Everett, 1976. You'll probably find the whole thing. It's a wonderful bantering back and forth of him and Kenny, and they knew each other so well. They were friends. And they talk about the different tracks on this album and other previous albums as well. And in fact, the I think, what was it? After playing Tie Your Mother Down, Kenny's like, gosh, Freddie, you're so loud. <laughs> and of course, again, all in good fun. I love these guys. I love hearing their conversations back and forth. Now, apparently, John plays acoustic guitar in this song, but I'll tell you something. Guys, I've listened to this over and over again. I can't find it. If it's there, it's layered so well, and maybe this is a little tip of the hat to the production, because it, acoustic guitar does add a wonderful weight and a round, it rounds out sounds in songs. It does have a very distinctive twang, though, so it's difficult to miss, and that's why I'm having trouble finding this. And, and you know what? I listen for those kinds of things. I am that person that listens to songs so many times over because I love to pick every single element apart. Well, what's this instrument doing through the whole thing? 
Where does that note go? Why? Oh, look how it complements these instruments on the other side. You know, that's the kind of musical analyst I am. But I can't hear. I cannot hear acoustic guitar here. I found that note. Oh my gosh, where did I read that? Guys, I promise you, I found that note somewhere. And it's very interesting that there's no other mention of it that I could find. So if I'm horribly wrong, tell me, dude, Charlie, there's no acoustic guitar there. But if it's in there, please point it out where you hear it, because I'm certainly not picking it up anywhere. But regardless, this is called the perfect pop song by many fans. And yes, some do agree with Freddie and me and call this better than John's preceding track. It's interesting song structure that has the multiple bridges. There's a false ending here. Make it more than your typical pop song, though. It's just the kind of complexity we would expect from any queen number. And I think the reason why, another reason why I would say this is better than You're My Best Friend is because of the, the energy it carries. You're My Best Friend is very sweet. It's very sweet. It's melodic as well. And there is an angelic quality to that song that's very, very appealing. And yes, of course it's catchy. Ooh, you make me live. I mean, whatever this world can... I, I, see, I want to just keep going. That, that's how catchy John is when he writes. So yes, You're My Best Friend is not a bad song. I am not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that when you think about it against this and the way the phrasing moves and... The way there, there's this incredible oscillation happening with the guitar, something about this almost feels smoother, more effortless. I, I can't explain the exact reason, but yeah, if I was going to give you just some reasons why I think, and perhaps Freddie thought this was superior, those might be some of those reasons, but this song is so... It's so good, you guys. Echoes of Elton John's gorgeous lyrical piano style in Freddie's intro here. Very, very much so. And Roger's drums, oh, the crescendo when he comes in. He is so good. Those dynamics. He is so good at feeling that moment on the drums. I want to talk about that a little bit. I'm going to geek out. There are so many examples of Roger's dynamic drum playing. I mean, pretty much every song he does this. Quiet, in your face, distant. I just, his technique is impeccable. I, I, I suppose I could go on and on about it, but I have never been more into drums than after listening to so many of Roger's techniques and his attacks with his kit. I love the energy. It's fabulous. And then as we get into the intro a little more, there he is, John. It almost sounds like this is his number. He gets more stylized with subtle pitch bends, effortless, soulful playing. Everything is in unison as the intro concludes here. The piano, the bass, even the drums fall down the scale. And I love Roger's accents on his kit again. But these verses... Shadows flickering, my heart's jittering, just you and I. It's the one and only time in the verse Queen went with a doo-wop spin like this. And this is why I love the guys so much. They throw in these one-offs in style that are so much fun. John's licks on the bass offset Freddie's sincere vocal delivery. 
Got a little bit of that call and response thing going on. Roger symbols crash and sparkle into the first shift. The phrase, the giddy and warm tone continues. We get our first glimpse of those marvelous queen vocals with that sunny and bright. There is a subtle reflected reverb on the right that echoes this vocal. And it's one of those touches I adore. Those are the kind of attention to detail moments I celebrate massively. And then another shift, all dramatic and sweeping with oscillating guitar. Hello, Brian. The boys all together give us delicious high harmonies accented by Freddie's tinkling piano. Brian's power chords, subtly stylized but very effective. And moving and John's ever-present bass, of course. The syncopation in the beat here. It's masterful work from Raj. Back to the verse, Freddie and John have even more fun on the piano and bass. And Freddie's singing, so precious, pure, powerful, and this bridge. The lyrics here, you know I never could foresee the future years. Those moments of harmonies, so unexpected in rock and roll, but this is queen after all. I love the mixing here with Freddie's lead on the left, the harmonies on the right. The cut time rhythm adds a nice reflective effect. Roger's unrelenting power in those hits, the richness of Brian's guitar, John's bass line that doesn't stop moving. This is production perfection. There are moments where the drums in their loudness nearly clip. In other words, they're so loud, a touch of distortion sneaks in. But this kind of production, this rawness, I love it. As this section wraps up, the guitars begin galloping along like an unbridled joy with distortion. Hey, speaking of distortion, right? To match it, Brian finally sings through his guitar here. Not that he hasn't previously, but this is the moment where he really busts in and we know without a doubt, it's Mr. Brian May. And again, he captures an alternate personality of the lead melodies we've previously heard. Another bridge, and I swear John's arrangement here is more varied, more interesting, more notes and variations, so much chromatic playing. That sweeping moment again, Walking in the moonlight. Except it's actually an octave higher. <laughs> Everything is suddenly amplified as much as possible. Every instrument and every voice. And the ending comes, oh wait, it's a false ending. <laughs> With Freddie's delicate delivery. And when the piano glitters again, Roger punches in with riffs that make this one of my favorite moments in the whole song. The guitars fade in. Freddie improvises precious please. No more questions, just you and I. And with a fade out, this lovely, perfectly polished, pop-inspired rock number is finished. Just you and I. You know what? When I hear that, that phrase at the end, before the false ending. My ears, I, I always hear that tail end of Roger's super, super high octave there. Always grabs my attention. It's funny how those moments pop out, but of course, this is John's number. And as I said earlier, when he does these songs, when he writes them, because he was so timid, especially in the early days, I think bringing forth material was a challenge for him. He didn't write as much. He was generally more quiet, more reserved. But again, he just, he comes out busting it 
busting a move. Literally, that's why they called him Disco Deaky. He danced on stage all the time. I will never forget that moment. I was watching the Montreal performance and I was watching it with a commentary on with Roger and Brian. And Roger says, I forgot how much Deaky used to dance. And it's just that kind of stuff that I just go, oh, it kind of just warms your heart because you realize how much these guys went through and all the history. But John was this precious part of the band. A bass player is not unimportant. I have to give him massive props whenever I can because he was so good, but he could write these songs that stick with you. And this is another one of those that, yeah, I think this should have been a single. I think it would have done fantastically well in the States, actually. It has that pop, soulful rhythm and vibe that, generally speaking, Americans responded to that. There's a danceable quality to this that I think would have been a hit. I'm just saying. I'm not absolutely spot on predicting that a song will be a hit, but there have been a number of times with all kinds of artists when they release an album, I go, ooh, that's a single right there. And lo and behold, they do release it weeks or months later, and it does pretty well. I'm just saying. I think this song could have been a big one. I think it should be in movies. I think this deserves to be in shows and movies and soundtracks. Let's just get you and I out there. Let's do it. Who's, who's with me? Raise your virtual hand. I, I am all down for you and I being in more and more stuff. You're My Best Friend is wonderful. It's very universally appealing. Yes, it's, it's a gorgeous song. It's, it's the happiest, sweetest little thing they ever did. But here, you and I has so much danceable liveliness and joy and optimism and living in the moment, which is such a wonderful, encouraging thing. Let's just do it. Just you and I. All right, guys. I was about to say, go check out the live version, and I forgot. There isn't one. I am super sad. And I wonder why. Was John not a fan of having a lot of his songs played live? Now, another one bites the dust live. Talk about a great number live. And Freddie's strut. <laughs> we'll talk about that in depth. Freddie's strut. Is there a hashtag for that? Let's just make one. I'm sure there is. There's probably a gift for that. Okay, guys. Go check this out on the album, you and I. I guarantee you'll love it. It's happy and sunny. It's sunny and bright, just like they sing. And keep yourselves alive. I will be back next time. The next number, guys, it's a big one. I'm feeling a little stressed about it. But I, I've started looking at it already. And honestly, I just want to take a little bit of extra time and get reacquainted with it as if I need it. But it's just nice to digest these songs several times over as I'm getting ready to do the dives because I like to be in the thick of it and get it in my brain again. But I can't wait to do the next one. I know you guys are going to love it. Love, love, love. And I'll love talking about it. So I hope you'll join me again. Thank you again to all of you tuning in. I keep watching my audience grow. It's amazing. I love you guys. I hope you enjoy my crazy rantings and tangents and ridiculous enthusiasm. Because let's face it, when I first started these podcasts, I was going to try to, to, to dampen that. Honestly, I was going to try to be a little bit more monotone. If that sounds weird, I don't know. I just At some point, I just gave up, and I decided I was just going to do my thing. So here I am. All right, guys. See, I'm rambling. <laughs> I'll talk to you guys later. <laughs>